Ibera, and welcome to Food of the Gods, a podcast that explores how elite athletes eat and train to fuel performance. This is part two of our conversation with 39-year-old downhill ski racer Stephen Nyman, who has been on the U.S. ski team since 2004. Stephen credits his devotion to training and nutrition and the knowledge he has gained about his body from rehabbing from numerous injuries for his longevity as a ski racer. The six foot four, 220 pound Sundance Utah native is a four time Olympian and is currently competing on the World Cup circuit, gunning for his fifth Olympic Games this February in Beijing. So you mentioned a lot of this stuff, trying not to get routine. And I was looking at your Instagram and I saw barbells and weight vests and the ski simulator, the slack lines and yoga. Do you have favorite things that you go back to, even though they may not be routine? It's hard now because I have kids and Uh uh, my favorite trainer that I learned from, he taught me this type of style and he's not around anymore. So sometimes when I want to do a workout and that's when I or get a workout in, but I don't have any like written thing in front of me. I just kind of resort to those style of workouts. But it's a lot of it's just general movement. A lot of it's building just general bulk muscle groups and building myself to be able to take a hit, to be able to crash and get back up. That's kind of my thought. It's it's nothing too fancy. It's just really stressing yourself and tiring yourself. And then the fancy stuff comes with that coordinative work, the memory work, the balance work. And challenging yourself in that way is, is kind of what keeps things fresh, I think. But yes. it's hard. Like, we usually start in May and we go through October. And those last couple of weeks in October, you're just like, do I really have to keep doing this? Like, I just want to ski. I want to ski. <laughs> and it's hard to continue to motivate, especially at 39. I ask all the athletes this. Do you have exercises you love to hate? The ones that you can't stand doing, but you know you have to do them because they're good for you? squats i just i hate squats i don't like loading my back but you gotta do them yeah i just have to have that that bulk strength in my legs and i know when i'm lifting three plates each side with good depth i'm in a good shape so it's just kind of like my marker point i need to hit do you uh at least like move the bar around a little bit back squat front squat to kind of change I, up hate, that load? I, I don't hit front squat i hate front squats i can't <laughs> breathe with front squats like it's just like i draw the line at front squats i'll do back squats cleans are fine and tossing weight around is fun sometimes and i, I like deadlifts we have a cool machine that i really enjoy it's the agaton they don't make them anymore they made them in the early 2000s we're actually designing a uh, new one right now that's electrically uh, has electric resistance, but this one has hydraulic and it's a sled you're laying in and you're pushing against the plate and you have one set of weights on this side and you push those weights up, but this weight is already up here and it measures when you're at the peak of your push and you start going down, it'll drop these weights on you and you can resist a lot more eccentrically. So we'll have eight plates on each side and you're just in a a controlled environment, much more so than a squat rack. And then you just try and resist that weight for three, four seconds on the way down. And then it'll raise that for you and you only have to push eight up and then you just do that and boom, drops on you. And you just gain so much strength with these heavy, heavy load, loaded eccentric workouts. That sounds interesting too, because it's kind of like varied from side to side. You can do single leg, you can do double leg, but 
the weights on side to side, you're only controlling this physically. Okay. This one will drop on you once you've hit your peak push. Okay. And so then physically you can handle a lot more eccentrically. You can handle double the load eccentrically than concentrically. So it's just hard to put yourself in a safe situation to resist those weights on the way down. Yeah. You can't whip those off of a squat bar on your side, you know? Some people have like well. a little hooks <laughs> or whatever that drop off, but like you're not loading those that much yeah. when you're doing that. So um and with those I like I like really fatiguing myself doing several reps of that and then jumping off with no weight and then doing some sort of bounding jumping exercise. I look pretty pathetic these days though. The this summer I was skiing with a lot of the or I was training with a lot of the slalom guys, these really young guys, and they they jump two to three times higher than me. I'm like, really? Two torn Achilles. Not I mean, me come on. Much, uh, you're not giving me much confidence here. But yeah, that's what I tell myself. I'm 220 and I've destroyed my legs several times over. So it's okay. <laughs> also funny, I've never heard of someone who likes back squats and hates front squats. It's usually the other way around. <laughs> I can't breathe when I do them. <laughs> Not a fan. I need to breathe. I and I really when I squat, I really I don't hold my breath. I like being able to continually breathe as I do these movements because in skiing, if I'm holding my breath, I'm no, running out of gas quick. Yeah. So I'm always trying to train myself to be able to breathe while moving. So you just mentioned like a workout schedule that's all in the gym. When does the skiing come in? We tend to go to South America or New Zealand, if COVID ever ends, in August and September. Recently, we've been going to Europe and training on the glaciers over there in August and September, usually for two weeks at a time. We'll do two weeks and then two weeks home, then back over there for two weeks. And then end of October, early November, Colorado and the high altitude, the resorts start opening up there. And then we move to train there. And then the last weekend of November, we jet up to Canada here and start our tour. We race through March and then usually do some promo stuff in April. And then in May, we get back to kind of a training mode, April, May. And we used to go to Norway and hopefully we can get back there. We usually train on the World Cup here, the hill there in Norway. But recently we've been training in Mammoth, which holds snow usually into May, late May. When you're training often on snow, do you keep a lifting schedule as well? Yeah, it's more maintenance. If you're trying to make gains during the winter, I think you can really fatigue yourself. So I look at it as more maintenance and keeping that load on my body, but not trying to push to make gains. If, if you're trying to play makeup within the season, things can go sideways. So hopefully you can build yourself up throughout the summer. What do you do to warm up for a day of skiing? Not much, honestly. Just go out there and hit the hill. There we go. Uh, I, go I go ski. <laughs> um, do you do an easy run first, at least? <laughs> no, it's, it's it usually is like ease into an easy run and kind of have longer turns and then just build into sharper turns. But I always warm up my core. I do a lot of low ab exercises. I found just in the position we are in, we're always hunched over in a tuck. Our backs are just always compressed this way. So I like to do a lot of Cobra kind of extensions to keep influencing my discs to keep fluid on the inside and not always continually pushing it to the outside. And then I'll do some sit-ups where I keep my low back tight and my 
upper body very erect. So it's just, it's focusing a lot of the strength on the lower abs. We can always do crunches and we're always focusing on the upper abs when you're doing a lot of that stuff and we miss those lower abs. And if you can create bulk in the lower abs and support that spine, I don't have the back problems that I used to have when I was a kid. So that was kind of one of my discoveries. And I think that's why I'm still going at 39. That's a good secret. <laughs> yeah. And uh, so I'll do a lot of core warm up and some movement, but honestly, it's a lot of balance. Like I'll get some of the glasses. Uh, Synaptic, I think is the brand um, that like flash and limit your vision. And I'll just do some single leg balance movements while wearing those glasses is taking away my vision. And that, that's all skiing is we're bouncing on a thin metal edge on a sheet of ice. So to kind of cue in that balance, I think is something that helps me feel comfortable on my skis. How often do you take a full day off? A lot. <laughs> <laughs> so what do you do on your off days? <laughs> All these people that are like, man, never, never have an off day. Just go, go, go. Like off days, Sundays are usually always off. Not come race season because we race on Sundays. Some Mondays are usually always off. But when I can have an off day, uh, it's usually refocused with my kids. And it's it's not an off day. <laughs> <laughs> I guess it's a core workout in itself, just always holding them and moving around. But usually one day a week, I'll take completely off and focus on eating, really eat well, get recovered, and truly recover for the work you're going to put in coming up. I think of just as athletes, we want to move. And that's it. And it's hard for me. Like it really, it's, it is hard for me to take a day off. But one day is usually fine. On the second day, I'd start getting antsy and I'm probably not nice to be around. <laughs> like these four days before this race series, it was just like button up things around the house, got to get all this done. And then I'm juggling the kids at the same time. And I was just kind of losing my, my steam. <laughs> but I think making sure you refuel yourself and unplug is super, super important just to generate that recovery if you if you're not doing that like we naturally want to just go entertain ourselves by doing something physical oh uh, all right i got my lift done and i got my endurance done i'll just go play tennis or i'll just go play the soccer game or i'll go play volleyball it's like but you're just continually breaking yourself down and that's what i used to do and that's and i used to always be in pain and always be hurt and it's just knowing when to okay I've done the right work. I know that it is the right work. Trust yourself and trust that recovery is, is what is needed. And I think it's super, super important, at least at my age. Do you have favorite recovery methods? I think you have a sauna in your house. Yeah, I have a sauna, a clear light, jacuzzi sauna. And I'm not a big ice bath guy. I like just acute icing on my knees or whatever needs it. But sometimes I'll dive into the ice bath. I think heat is really, really good. If I finish on heat, I'm not super tired. If I finish on ice, especially an ice bath, I'm just I just want to curl up and go to sleep. So I like finishing with heat. I'm a big stretcher. A lot of there's a lot of stuff out there that's like, don't stretch, don't stretch. So I know people are preaching that. I'm a big believer in stretching. You have to think about it just like I was saying, like, I'm always in this position, I need to stretch out this way and promote my body to move the opposite way. I think just hip movements, big stretches with the hips and the legs, quads, arms, just moving in 
ways that you typically don't move, I think is super important instead of just ingraining in this one movement pattern. And I think just walking, walking or hiking is really good for recovery. Biking is good for controlling the heart rate, but in skiing, we're always stuck in a boot. Yes, we're articulating and and it takes strength inside your boot, but if we're always stuck in a boot and then they always promote us to spin on a bike and recover on a bike, but then we're just stuck pedaling and not actually using our feet. I think our feet are so important. And just to jog and hike keeps that the intrinsics of your feet strong and allows you to articulate within your boots. And I think that's just the foundation of health in itself is, is walking and using your feet and that'll build up from the ground up. So you're, I'm a big walking hitting, guy. You're hitting a lot of that with the slack line too. Yeah, exactly. That's cool. Do you, uh, so now you're up in Banff and you're probably in a hotel room for a couple of days. Do you travel with any recovery things? You have like a hypervolt or just a lacrosse ball, anything that's like in the duffel bag when you're on the road? Yeah. Lacrosse ball flossing. I have like kind of a little floss band. The lake's my recovery. I was like jogging out to the end of the lake and back. I don't jump in the lake. (laughs) (laughs) And I think I have some supplements that are, I think are good and necessary and the timeliness of them are key to when you're taking it. But yeah, I think protein collagen, high quality collagen, it's the way you take it to mix with vitamin C and whatnot. I think that really helps with recovery and and with rehab from injuries. So do you follow a particular type of diet? I mess with things at times. If I'm feeling a little inflamed, I go toward an anti-inflammatory diet. I'm not particularly gluten-free, but sometimes I'll lean that way. And I just, I eat according to the rainbow is kind of what I say. I think I read it from Laird Hamilton years ago. It's just like eat foods of all different colors and try and expose yourself to that, which will give you a good mineral nutrient panel and get all those vitamins in you. So I know I've just also discovered what foods don't agree with me and I try and avoid those. So for me, it's walnuts, mushrooms, quinoa, for some reason makes my stomach feel weird. And yeah, just avoiding mushrooms for some reason, make my back go out. That's weird. I'm crazy, but it it really, (laughs) it really does. It's weird. So it's not on the allergy panel when they test you for mushrooms, like, you know, back problems. It's it's usually like skin rash or like stomach upset. Okay. Yeah. But that's it though. It's the stomach and the stomach. Every every, Every muscle is related to an organ and it's the stomachs to like, multifidus and yeah therefore hey if you got it figured out good for you that's awesome yeah you are a pretty big guy though 6'4 220 you're super active so i imagine that you are packing in quite a lot of calories what does a day of eating look like for you i'm not a big believer in like constantly eating it's the timeliness and i also think just giving your body a break is key yeah. so when i do eat i eat a lot but I'll hammer it. And then I'm usually like three meals a day and kind of one snack. After workouts, I'll down, well, before workouts, I'll usually have like a creatine and a collagen. And the whole theory is that's going to be in your bloodstream. And especially like the Achilles, I'm not getting much blood flow there unless I'm working it. And so it'll actually be delivering what it needs at that time. 
So having that in my bloodstream before I work out is key. And then protein afterwards and a snack during. And then I'd say just a big breakfast, big lunch, and a big dinner. I'm pretty simple. Sometimes I'll do a smoothie right before bed, but it's just lots of cheese, lots of high density, lots of butter, lots of calories. <laughs> if, I can, if I can just put it in. The beauty of a downhiller is we need momentum. And so the downhiller diet is anything and everything. <laughs> do you have a favorite pre-race meal? I love ribs and potatoes. Big ribs and potatoes guy. Is that, is that helping you get down the mountain mountain with the with the ribs in the belly? It's a little more here, you know? <laughs> Dude, I was going to ask you what your favorite cheat meal was, but ribs and potatoes sort of sounds like a cheat meal. <laughs> there's, there's no cheat meals with uh, downhillers, basically. <laughs> I'm a bad interview for that That's okay. in, in that case. But there, we like we work so much and we're out in the cold for such a long amount of time. Like we're burning calories all day yeah. long. We're like swimmers. And so there are some thick guys. What's cool about ski racing, there's some short, stumpy, thick guys, big, thick guys, but there's also some wiry, skinny guys. And we all have our benefits and momentum helps, but also aerodynamics is another thing. And if you're skinnier and you can get in these little positions and hold those, then that's an advantage right there. So I can't put on a ton of weight. Like I still need to be able to move. And last fall, I got to two. 35 and I just felt like a slug to me it's like 220 225 is kind of my fighting weight but above that it's just it's too much for me and to really put on a lot of weight it's it's a lot of work mm -hmm. and I don't know I like feeling a little fresh at times so <laughs> you said that your mom had a garden and your dad I believe was the chef at Sundance Mountain Resort when you were a no, kid he wasn't a chef somebody dad. said that your dad cooked Dad is not a chef. Dad's like microwave pizza. Ah, <laughs> did your mom teach you to cook at all? Yeah, my mom taught us to cook. Do you and cook now? Yeah, I love it. It's good. I'm a big, big breakfast guy. Cook for the kids all the breakfast and uh, dinner. We have a lot of go-to dinners. It's just kind of like our five, six staples that we'll throw out there. And then sometimes we venture in. I actually got this cooking book, Alpine Cooking. A friend gave it to me. Thanks, Selena. Uh -huh. It's this lady traveled the Alps and got all the recipes for all the all the just classic stable meals of the Alps. And so I've been liking going through that and, and trying out cooking my own schnitzel or my own Kaiserschmarrn and just mixing it up. I was going to ask what a classic staple meal. I've hiked a ton in the Alps and I don't know, like I, it was a lot of like elk type meats. Um, you know, yeah. stuff that I'm not used to eating over here in, in New Jersey, but all really good, yeah. like lean, yummy meats. But I don't know if you're, well, I guess in Utah, you have access to that. Yeah, no, cured meats, cheeses, breads. I tend to do better with the breads over there than in the U.S. A lot of them, they're freshly baked that morning, like in two days later, they're rock hard. Whereas in the U.S., they sit on the shelves for weeks yeah. and they're still soft. So I don't eat a lot of bread in the U.S., but I'm fine in Europe with it. But yeah, they love their fats. They'll put lard on the bread and they'll just tons of butter loaded with that. But it's just nice to grab a hunk of cheese and a hunk of meat and a knife and some bread and hike up a mountain and then look across the Alps and eat it and sled yeah. down, you know? It's so interesting that you say that about the bread. I, I have a gluten intolerance and I often wonder how much of it is because 
a lot of the wheat here in the U.S. is GMO and a lot of it in Europe is not. But when I'm yeah. in Europe and I'm usually on a like a big, long, like a two week hiking trip or something, when I go to Europe, I'm usually unwilling to take the risk because I'll be pretty messed up if it messes me up. But there's yeah. I always wonder maybe it wouldn't because wheat is wheat and then wheat is wheat over there. It's two kind of different things. Mm-hmm. Pasta, certain pastas I'm fine with in the U.S., and in Europe, and but like bread in the U.S., not so much. I don't know where it's made or how it's made or, or whatnot, but for some reason, pasta is like fine with me, but bread is not. So maybe you know something about that or not. But I don't. I don't know. Um, a lot of the staples, though, it's like they'll have these little alms in these little huts up these mountains. And I actually moved my family to Europe. I pack them all up, and we have this little apartment outside Innsbruck, and we can walk out the back door and hike up ski tour up the hill to this alm and get up there and have a little meal and ski down and it's just some of them are good some have like really good cooked meals and canoodles and uh cos canoodles or some of us just like boiled brat and here you go and here's some mustard and a roll and have fun and go down you know and I, i just like that and they promote that sort of activity and health around the eating. It's it's really cool. I, I did the, uh, a lot of hiking in the Dolomites, flew into Innsbruck to do it. And you uh, you hike half the day, you end up at one of these little refugios and somebody stuffs you full of some soup that they just made like an hour ago. And it's amazing and cheese, you know, slathered on the bread. And, and it's not a low calorie meal, but you just yeah. walked up 4,000 feet of elevation to get to it. So you're like, it's all good. Give me some more hot chocolate. It's great. Yeah. <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> you've been at this for a really long time and you're heading into what would be, so you've been on the Olympic team four times, right? This would be your fifth? Hopefully, yes. So what are your ski goals right now? Number one, reestablish myself on the World Cup, get comfortable again. Today was our first training run and I was, I was nervous. <laughs> it's been basically two years since I've raced, I should say a year and three quarters. And so training's a different game like training training's pretty easy you can get comfortable with it but the world cup's totally different and i was kind of in the starcade shaking in my boots a bit but i skied well i skied solid didn't take a lot of risk and felt fine but i wasn't i was like 31st or something like that it was it was okay i had one big mistake and hopefully knocked some rust off and got rid of that fear and I'm going to go study video in a little bit and, and understand what I need to improve upon. But to me, it's just reestablishing myself, getting to a place to where I feel like I can push for the podium and win again. This year, it's going to be tough to make the team. We have five guys in the top 30. And we have three young guys that are are knocking on the door. So it's going to be a battle to get that those spots for the Olympics. and. I'm proud of my team and I'm proud of the group that we have and, but we got to support each other, but we also have to be competitive and and fight with each other. So to make the Olympics, I think it's going to take some good performances and that's a goal of mine as well. How does your body feel? How are the knees, the Achilles, et cetera, et cetera? I feel good. Last night I ran to the end of the lake and back and usually I'm kind of like slogging and I felt great surprisingly with the Achilles as well. So I don't know why or what, but I'm always searching for little things that 
give me confidence. And I did that. And I was like, oh, yeah, you're ready. Feeling yeah, good. Right? <laughs> well, what advice would you give to the normal person who wants to stay active as they age, but they say, oh, I can't. I have a bad knee. I have a bad shoulder. I have a bad back. There's so many intelligent, good people out there that can help you and your body's the number one thing I should say is your body is highly capable of fixing itself if you're giving it the right fuel. And just giving your body what it needs and eating well is the number one thing. And then honestly stepping back and reassessing yourself and talking to people that understand that world more and learning about yourself. I think you can regenerate and heal and become better, even if it's been a, a long time down a dark road you can always recover. I have a guy that I work with. His name's Craig Bueller with Amit Clinic. It's Amit's Advanced Muscle Integration Technique. And he's, this guy's a wizard and I attribute my longevity to him. Um, he's taught me about how every muscle is connected to an organ, how it, it's all one big system. And he can isolate every single muscle in the body and tell if it's on or off and what's causing this pain or that. And he just creates a balance within myself and has given me the longevity that I have. He was John Stockton, Carl Malone's guy. They played into their 40s mm -hmm. in the NBA. He is he's just a wizard, and I thank him. And I think there's all kinds of people out there. He trains all kinds of people. There may be somebody near you that you could see, or there's people that fly from all over the world to Kaysville, Utah to see Craig Bueller. So, <laughs> yeah. What does Craig say about the mushrooms? He's the one that helped me discover it. So <laughs> the mushrooms make your back go. That's amazing. Yep. <laughs> so you've got a World Cup race coming up this weekend. I'm sure you've got a bunch of those leading up to the Olympics, the trials. Where can folks follow you to keep up with this uh, journey you're on now? Almost every weekend, this uh, starting this coming weekend, there's a World Cup race that's going to happen. So fis.com, fis.com, or the US ski team.org or just follow me at, at Stephen Nyman underscore or at Stephen underscore Nyman. And I'll update stuff on Instagram and Twitter and, and have where you can view the races. Uh, Peacock, the app there that you can watch all the World Cup races on that. And NBC will broadcast some stuff as well. So really cool. Well, Stephen, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. And good luck and enjoy your non-Thanksgiving Thanksgiving in Banff. I don't know that I would mind having that view that you had, you showed me earlier. So, so uh, enjoy that and good luck this weekend. Right on. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Thanks so much to Stephen for joining us on Food of the Gods. Be sure to follow him on both Instagram and Twitter at, at Stephen underscore Nyman. You can also follow the U.S. Ski Team on both platforms at, at U.S. Ski Team. Until next time, for more information on Food of the Gods or to download other episodes, visit us at foodofthegodspodcast.com or wherever you listen to podcasts. You can also follow us on Instagram at, at foodofthegodspod or email us at foodofthegodspodcast at gmail.com. Food of the Gods is a Digitant Podcast production. <laughs>